Good morning. We'd invite everyone to come on in and have a seat. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. You know, this year we've been studying about the uh, power of one. It's been our theme for the year. And we're glad that you're the one that's here today to worship God. There's a friendship register on each pew. We would like to get a record of everyone's attendance. If you'll fill those out, the ushers will take them up at the end of services today. Leading our singing this morning, Brother Joe Garrett, Brother Brent Mooney has the opening prayer, Brother Levi Sweeney, the scripture reading, Brother Ken Forrest, the lesson, Brother J.T. Beard will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and Stephen Hodgen has our announcements and closing prayer. This morning I was given a note and asked to read this. Our sister Brenda Dawson says, I have sinned, I have not song this morning will be I'll be satisfied
Father in heaven, you bless us like no other. You give us more than we ever need. You give us sunshine and rain. You give us food and clothing. You give us spiritual blessings through Christ Jesus. I pray for each Christian that meets here. I pray for the church worldwide. I thank you for, I thank you for our health that you give us, I pray for all 
that needs our prayers, the sick, the shut-ins, the people that is battling treatments, surgeries, and doctor's appointments. I pray for the families that's lost loved ones. Help us all to remember you are the great physician. Help us live better today than we did yesterday. Guide, guard, and direct our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're willing and able, let's stand as we sing this song before the lesson this morning. in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in, his, in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning, especially today. This is the only day we have, isn't it? 
All this behind us is past. No promise of a future. So all we have is just right this moment. And I'm glad you're here with me in that moment. Was your heart moved when you heard the statement of Sister Dawson? Wasn't that a plain, contrite admission of wrong? At the same time, a heartfelt desire to be right with God, to get things right with the Lord. I just wanted to weep, did you? Because that was a heart that was sincere and just as plain as could be, as I said. I hope, I hope and pray all of us are like that. Just as real as can be. And today, in light of that, I'm just going to assume we're going to be real today. I want to share with you some things related to the judgment. That seems appropriate since today is all we have and the judgment that is promised could occur at any time. It seems like we'd stop and just recognize that for a little bit. So before we start our study, let's pray to God together that He'll bless us and impact us with His Word today. Our Father, thank You for this first day of the week. Thank You for this day, which is a gift from You. We thank You for all the days that led to this. And now here we are with our lives in our hands, living in a way that, well, it suits us. I mean, we're happy to live today and any other day under our own guidance in control. But today, really, really appreciate Brenda's admission of wrong and of her desire to make things right when it's still within the power of her hands to do so. And we all, as, as we've already prayed, we're behind her. We want to encourage her and support her. But Lord, help us to be that way too. Help us to be real in this one moment that we have, for sure, that's in our hand right now. Help us to make our amends if that's necessary, to be of a heart that is contrite and admitting a fault with a desire to do better. I pray, Lord, that you will bless us today as we talk about the day that's coming after this. I pray, Lord, that we'll be prepared for that day whenever it comes. And thank you for the ways that you've encouraged us to do just that, to be ready. Help me to communicate the things I've prepared in a simple, understandable way. And be with those who hear it, that it'll be meaningful to them and that it will help them in their preparation of that great day that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, you heard it mentioned here in the text, the day that's coming, the day in which we're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to air what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. There's that little caveat there at the end. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That really, I guess, for any gospel preacher, but for me, I will say specifically, that's what really drives me to preach. Because I know that there is coming a day, for some people, it's going to be, it's going to be an exciting and joyful, wonderful day. I think of Paul's expressing of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 16, he says that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, when I read that, that just, that makes me happy. That fills me with joy. I want the Lord to come as soon as is possible. But the other side of that is, I know that there are people who are not ready for the judgment. In fact, to hear the scriptures speak, it is, it's a lot of people. A lot of people who ought to be inspired with awe and ready to make, you know, the utmost commitment to to really set some diligence in their lives to serve God, to make things right. But Third Peter or Second Peter chapter three really describes a different setting. Verse three says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then was perished, being destroyed by water. But the heavens which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment, the perdition of ungodly men. He says, beloved, do not forget that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved and the earth, it will wax away. There's coming a day, whenever that is, when this place is going to, that's going to dissolve. It's going to be burned up. It's no longer going to exist. At that point, you and I, obviously penniless, 
totally and absolutely exposed before God, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll answer for everything that we have done in this body, whether, whether it was good and that will be a celebration and there'll be lots of excitement and joy, or bad. And there will be terror in the hearts of those who have been exposed because of the evil that has been found in them. I will say this. I, I do not, absolutely do not know everything there is to know related to the judgment. I'm pretty sure that a lot of what is going to transpire just hasn't been shared with us. But what I do know about it, I'm going to share with you. Because I do know the terror of the Lord. And it is my heart's desire that people be persuaded to serve the Lord so that they don't have to face that terror. So I want to break the judgment down into three very component, obvious parts. I want to talk with you today about the judge, about those who are being judged, and then our subject, the judgment itself. So let's think about the judge. This text says that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay. Well, I see Jesus mentioned in various ways in Scripture, so I thought it would be kind of neat to use a statement that's related to him that packs a lot of punch in it. And it's actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 when it introduces him. It refers to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's just break that down for a minute. The one that we are going to stand before is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means ruler. It means the person that I am in service to. Interesting, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus laments. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I command you, the things I say to you? Why would you call me your Lord, you know, your ruler, your master? Why would you call me that if you're not going to do what I say? Clearly, the expectation is Jesus is going to be the Lord, the ruler, the master of my life, I'm going to live my life in such a way as to align it with what He commands me to do. That, that just makes some obvious sense, right? So He is the Lord in the sense that He rules over me. What He has to say, I will do. But actually, it goes further than that because it isn't just my relationship with Jesus Actually, this whole idea of lordship and even kingship over his kingdom is the Father's idea. In Matthew chapter 28 at verse 18, as Jesus is giving the Great Commission for them to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, right there it is. The Father has given authority in heaven and on earth to His Son, to the Lord. That happened as a result of His sacrifice. You know, He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was nailed to the cross. All of that's described in composite in the book of Philippians chapter 2. The purpose of that was to demonstrate His humility and, and how we ought to also demonstrate that to one another. But I love what's expressed about Jesus beginning at verse 9 as He receives this recognition from the Father after He has emptied Himself of everything. You know, just basically divested Himself of all glory. At verse 9 then, the Father's response is that God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father receives honor and glory on the basis of Jesus serving as Lord, as ruler, as master of all. God highly exalted Him. And that name we fall down on our knees in obeisance to. He truly is the Lord, Jesus Christ. The name Jesus was special. It isn't special in the sense that He's the only one called Jesus. In fact, there are several people in the Scriptures also named Jesus. It was a relatively common name. It was an expression of the name Joshua. But we know that this particular one who was born of a virgin, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, was named Jesus because He was to save His people from their sins. Jesus' whole purpose in coming into this world was to save sinners. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that text says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Jesus, because of that that particular mission of His, we are no longer people of condemnation. Romans chapter 8. We're also people who have had the consequence of our sin removed when we're with Jesus the Savior. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's a terrible consequence. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we with Jesus have our salvation. That was His purpose, to seek and save the lost. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. And we, well, we have confidence and comfort in knowing that instead of death, we can have eternal life. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Christ, literally interpreted, means anointed, the anointed one. A, a couple of verses later from Matthew 1, at verse 23, that scripture says that he would be Emmanuel. And that is God with us. 
it's expressed, I don't know, in some beautiful terms in John chapter 1, verse 14. John, in recounting Jesus' work among his disciples and others, said, you know what we did? We, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this, this Lord, this ruler, Jesus, Savior Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, this Lord Jesus Christ, Here's the thing about him. When I see those terms, I think, wow, way up there, you know, distant from his people, but not so. The whole reason behind his being these things was his love for mankind. And not just a desire, but a means by which through his love to save all of us. And he expresses it through his death, joined with the Father who sets those actions, those motions into play. In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. The one who is to be the judge is the very one who died so that we could be saved from the condemnation that might come as a judgment of being apart from God. He's the very one who offered the sacrifice that can set us free from any judgment. You sin, you die. Judgment passed, you die. But Jesus died in our stead. And as judge, He can set aside and save us. So there's the judge, and then, well, there's us. We'll just call them the judged. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must, all of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us. Myself included. So we're all in this together as pertains to standing before the judge. I want to give us a little perspective. Use a short little text from Matthew chapter 11. It's verses 20 to 24 if you want to consider it in your scriptures. But Jesus kind of hits a time out. He's like, you know, I've been doing these mighty works. Been doing this stuff and you've seen it but you have not repented. So first he takes on a couple of different cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And here's the point. I've done all these mighty works. You've seen them and you haven't repented. He says it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. Because he says, if I had done these works, before the cities of Tyre and Sidon, who ultimately were destroyed because of their wickedness, if I had done that, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you wouldn't. You saw the mighty works, or you heard about the mighty works, yet you refused to repent. Better for them than for you in the judgment. Well... You and I, as we read through those, we might not, unless we've really read a lot of the Gospels, 
We might not know that much about Chorazin, Bethsaida, Tyre, and Sidon. That might not strike us. But he goes on. And he says, Bethsaida, which was a place he frequented. Bethsaida, same for you. You know, those issues of life, you've not resolved. Not going to be good for you in that day. City of Capernaum. He says, Capernaum, you, you, you're like you've been lifted up to heaven. You know, you're one of those major cities of our time. Just right up there, top tier level people. But he says, even though you've been exalted to heaven, you have been brought low to Hades. And here's why. Again, did the mighty works, had the great teachings, but you would not repent. Now here's something we can relate to. He said, if I had done the same thing in the city of Sodom, now Sodom was one of two cities grouped together because of their sins that God sent forth fire and brimstone from heaven and totally annihilated those cities. There wasn't anything left to even sift through. Now God says, Capernaum, let me tell you something. You heard the truth, but you would not repent. And because of that, it will be more tolerable for those people in the city of Sidon than it will be for you. Why is that? Well, you heard the unadulterated, unchanged, in your face, right there in your presence, truth. You heard the truth, you saw it supported by these mighty works, and yet even then, you refused to repent. Better for them, however bad that would be, than for you. Much worse for you in your refusal to act on what you know you ought to do. Take it a step further. Matthew chapter 25. I, I will tell you, there are some passages of Scripture that just, I don't know, for me, just kind of put, quote unquote, the fear of God in my heart. And Matthew chapter 25 is one of those texts of Scripture that will do just that. Especially if you go through that section of verse 31 through 46, where Jesus describes a judgment scene in which all of the nations of the earth are present, and He does a separation. Now, you know how it is, maybe, if you're working in your pantry. You separate out all of your spices and your different foodstuffs. If you're really organized, you might have little containers with little labels on them. You've got containers with labels everywhere. The Day of Judgment, it's not divided up like that. It's not divided up according to certain nuances of this or that, and this consideration, this extenuating circumstance. It's divided up with either people being on the right hand or on the left hand. He uses an illustration in terms of the sheep and the goats. It's about as black or white an illustration as can be. Either you are on the right hand side with the sheep, or you are on the left hand side with the goats. And the Son of Man who sits on the throne of His glory is the one who is going to make the determination as to whether I'm a sheep or I'm a goat. 
Now, verse 34. Oh, those beautiful sheep. Are you one of the sheep? Because he is going to say to those on his right hand, Come to me, blessed of my Father. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I love it. You're a sheep. You're with the Lord. He planned for you to be in the kingdom from the very foundation of the world. It was always His plan to see you with Him for eternity. Beautiful. But there was that other side, right? The goats. Sorry, over here on the left. Sorry. So we got the goats over there. And he says, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting punishment. He said, you're going to everlasting fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Wait. Okay, so you can be among the sheep and go to a place that was prepared before the foundation of the world for you. That's what God wanted for all of us. Or if you're one of those goats, he's going to tell you to go away, depart, and then you're going to everlasting fire in a place that was not designed for you. That was not God's original, int- God's original intention. Sheep with me. No. If you're one of the goats, if you're one of those that have turned your back on the Lord, you would not hear, you would not repent. You, you just, you turned your back on the mighty works of God He says, you are going to everlasting fire, a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46. These, he's still pointing his finger at those on the left-hand side, the goats. He says, these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, on the right, to eternal life. I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things about these passages. Just to lighten it, because to me it's such a striking divide. There's nothing in between. It's either one or the other. It's either amazing relationship with God forever and ever, or it's pain and anguish and fire. And I've heard, I've heard someone say, well, you know, right there in that, that verse 46 right there, Ken, Uh, you see that he says there is everlasting punishment, but that there is eternal life. They say, well, eternal life is forever and ever, but everlasting just means for as long as it lasts. And you know, it was designed for the devil and his angels. That just means when we get there, total annihilation, it's over the end. Uh, No, (laughs) that, that, that is not right. Actually, both the word everlasting that's connected in our English with punishment and eternal that's connected with life, actually those two different words come from the same word in the Greek, ionios, which, well, it means that it doesn't end. No end. 
Now, when I'm thinking about the place that the Lord prepared for us from the foundation of the world, because I've been faithful to Him, I've served Him all my life, and I've, I've listened, I've paid attention, I've repented when that was necessary, I confessed, I was honest and real with the Lord. That is forever and ever, Ken, it doesn't ever end. You're listening to me, it's amazing. Yes, I hear you, I'm excited. But that punishment, you understand, that punishment, which also this very same text he described as fire, well, that lasts just as long. We must, every single one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive in his body according to what he has done whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Ken, why do you preach? Because I don't want anybody in that left-hand goat category. I, I don't want to hear of anybody I know that I, that I experienced a life with. I don't want to hear about any of those ending up in a, in a situation that God never intended for them to be in, but which they chose to be in. So there's, there's the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are the judged. Okay, so you say, yeah, can I see those judged there? There was, uh, you know, Chorazin, Bethsaida. There was, um, you know, um, Capernaum, those cities of Jesus. There were those old cities. Uh, got it. Cities. Uh, there, there are the nations that assembled on the right and the left. Yeah, but bring it down right here. The people that are going to be standing before the Lord in one or the other of two categories, that'll be you and me. I can put names on it. You know, it'll be Stephen and Owen right there, and there's Jordan and Doug. All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, He is a judge who loves us, but God says we're going to be in one of two places. Judge wisely. Well, it's going to be easy for the Lord, right? Because He'll know us. Won't He know us? He will know us because we will have been washed by His blood. So, I think about the judgment itself. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is. Time has ended. We're there in the presence of the Lord. Oh, I tell you, that day, when John, when John finishes up his writing, The Revelation, when he finishes that up, at the end, he just begs the Lord to come back. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I just, I want you back so badly. And there are some days when I just cry out to the Lord, please come, please come, please come. For some people, when that day comes, man, it is going to be amazing. And think about this. Think about it. you in your life already. You've experienced loss. You've had people that you loved who died. You know that those who are faithful in the Lord, that on this triumphant day that's just beyond where we are right now, just in the other day, in that last day, the Lord is going to return and 
It is going to be amazing. I, I take it the Thessalonian brethren, they're all upset, not sure how all that's going to work. And Paul just expresses it to them. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 13. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow, as others have no hope for. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. Brothers, sisters, I am so comforted by that. I can't wait for that day. For those who are on the right, the sheep, what a day. But those who are on the left, the goats, they're going to have a concurrent day. They're, they're going to see the Lord coming too. Think about that. I see the Lord coming. I woo, can't wait to go up there and be with Him and the faithful and my loved ones who've been faithful to be there forever and ever. But for those who are goats, they'll see the Lord coming too. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 7. Oh yeah. They'll see Him descending from heaven with His mighty angels. Sounds the same. But taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Those who see the Lord and are His faithful, His sheep, are going to join the Lord in the air to be with Him forever and ever in the presence of God. Yes! But those who, those who are not are going to be inundated with fire an eternal punishment because they didn't obey the gospel. They didn't know God. They refused. They refused the amazing help of God to wash their sins away. They just, they refused it. For some, an amazing, awesome day. And for others, a day of terror. You know, as we're living along here, maybe, maybe we'll have the rest of today. Maybe it'll be a week. Uh, maybe you don't have to worry about this at all. I don't know. But I'm just thinking, as long as we're still going, you know, we're told that there is a sense in which if, if we really are faithful, we're really dedicated to this thing, it will be like, it won't be just like we'll just kind of sit around waiting, hoping stuff transpires. It will be like we basically kick the doors of heaven wide open. Could you imagine that? Here you've been living your whole life just, oh, I hope I go to heaven, hope I go to heaven. When you show up there, it turns out they're ready for you to kick the doors down. That is, if, if when we obey the gospel, and you have obeyed the gospel, haven't you? If you have, then if you'll continue and be faithful in that. So you'll add your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For 
He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Wait, stop right there. Okay. Thought I was good when I got baptized. Yeah, you were. And you came up, then what? Now, if you weren't baptized, you're with the goats because you're unfaithful to God. You're looking at eternal punishment and fire. But if you, if you were washed in the blood of Jesus and came up out of there, you're good, right? He said, yeah, except that if you haven't been adding to your faith in these ways, it is like you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins because knowing that Jesus would wash my sins away, why in the world would I ever turn my back on that? Why would I ever live in any way contrary to what He commands me? Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Lord, you're my Lord. I'm I'm committed to you. So I come out of that water. I'm adding to my faith. If these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. But he also tells us that we're to give even more diligence to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the picture I was painting. Go in abundantly. They're expecting me. Why? Well, because I lived faithfully and I continued in that walk all the way to the day either the Lord returned or I died. And of course, we're all going to die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And then after that, we're going to face the judgment. Here's the truth. There's coming a day. It will be the last day. Now, given that you and I are on the ragged edge of history, today's the only day there is. Today is it. So what is beyond this, so far as I know, unless we're just pushing time forward, the only thing next is the day we're talking about. That's where we are right now. It's what's next. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The words which I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. It's not going to be arbitrary. We will be answering for things we already know. Or maybe we're like some of those folks we read about a moment ago. We just didn't listen. We say, Lord, I never heard that. Maybe we did. We just didn't listen. Or we heard it, but we just didn't act on it. As he said, you saw the mighty works, you didn't repent. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that text says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We're people of light, right? When I was about nine years old, I remember hearing a preacher use this illustration, and it has stuck with me my whole life. He said years ago when 
the United States was trying to populate this continent. They were giving away territory in the central states. People came from everywhere in their covered wagons, being pulled by oxen of all things, because they were going to use them to help cultivate the land. He said this one particular group had crossed over a river, a perilous attempt, but they all made it safely. And they had traveled for about a day, and they noticed all around them, it was nothing but grass, dry grass, and their imagination just soared of what they could do with this land. And then someone detected along the horizon what looked like smoke. And as time passed, they realized, wait a minute. It's smoke, all right, and that's because it's fire across the entire horizon. All of this dry grass is on fire. Everybody started to panic because there's no way they could rush back to the river. And so just about gave up until the leader said, well, here's what we're going to do about that, folks. We're going to burn the grass behind us. And so they set that on fire. And it burned sufficient enough that all of that troop in that caravan moved themselves onto the ground where the grass had been burned. But the fire was still raging ahead of them. And it was getting closer and closer. And one little girl cried out to the leader, Are you sure we're going to be safe from the fire? And the leader said, of course we will, because we are standing where the fire has already burned. Jesus took the entire fire of the wrath of God so that you and I, when we face the judgment, could stand there and be justified in His sight by the blood of the Lamb. Why would anybody in that caravan had said, you know what, I'll just take my chances against the fire that's coming. I don't want any part of that what's behind me. When that was so freely offered, why would anybody turn their back on the judge who is offering now the remedy for our sin? Who will wash our sins away in the waters of baptism where we will rise up in newness of life? Who, having made that initial commitment, will then walk with us as we walk with Him every single day? And even when we misstep, if we will confess our sins, He'll be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would anybody at this stage in the game, on the ragged edge of history, why would anybody ever refuse an opportunity like that when we could stand where the fire has already burned. You know what I would think? I would think if six or seven people who were real today, who said, you know what, kid, I don't care what anybody thinks, today I know that I need to be made right with the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to see this pew right here, right here in front of Milton, just filled with people who said, today I'm real. I need to stand where the fire's already burned. I need to be forgiven. And I'm honest like Brenda's honest. I've sinned and I need to be right with the Lord because I want to face the judgment 
with a judge whose blood I'm covered in. Wouldn't it be great today if we had this pew right here filled with people who said, you know what? I, I never took advantage of the blood of Jesus. I never had my sins washed away. But Ken, today, today I'm real because I don't want to face the judgment alone. I don't want to face that judge with him looking at me and saying, what in the world? I offered you salvation and you refuse to hear. You refuse to repent. Time and time again, you turn your back on me. I don't want to face a judge like that. I want to face the judge who was present when my sins were washed away. Today, this filled, just pew filled with people who are ready to stand on the ground where the fire has already been. Is that you? Why don't you come then, fill this pew up while we stand together and sing. All things are ready.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul?
doesn't have a emblem for the Lord's Supper, if you'd raise your hand, the ushers will provide one for you. You know, the worship that Jesus demands of us is, is really very simple. One of the more, more simple, simple things that uh, is required of us is to meet and partake of the Lord's Supper. The uh, book of Acts says in Acts, of, excuse me, Acts 2, 2.47, that God added to the church, the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. We have a pattern for what uh, Jesus expects from the church. And one of those things he expects from us as Christians 
is to meet on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. In Acts the 20th chapter in verse 7, it tells us that the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. So if we're going to be the Lord's church, that's what we're going to have to do. We want to please him, there's no doubt about that. So with that in mind, if you'll bow with me, we'll offer thanks for the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful unto you for your willingness to come to this earth to live as one of us, to be treated so horribly, and to have your body broken on, on the uh, cross of Calvary. We pray, Father, that as we partake of this bread, which represents that body, we pray that we might do so in a way that would be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you bow with me, we'll offer thanks for the cup. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful to you also for the sacrifice of your Son. We pray, Father, that as we partake of this, the fruit of the vine, which represents his blood, that we might also do so in a way that would please you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That completes the Lord's Supper. Another act of our worship that is expected of us is to give. We're to give on the first day of the week as we've prospered, as we've purposed in our heart, and we're to do so cheerfully. The God, the God that we worship allows us to give a free will offering, and we determine how much that we're going to give. And so... You're now, you now have the opportunity to give back to the Lord part of what he's blessed you and I with. So with that in mind, if you'll bow with me, we'll offer thanks for the blessings that God has given us this week. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this country that we live in, for all the freedoms and opportunities that we have. We're thankful for the finances that we're able to achieve uh, and we pray, Father, that as we prosper more, that we would give more. We realize that uh, without the uh, funds that are given to this uh, church each week, that we would not be able to do a lot of the things that we do. We would not be able to preach the gospel as, to as many people as we do. So we pray, Father, that we would all look in our hearts and that we would give as we've prospered, as we've purposed in our heart, and most importantly, Father, we pray that we would do so cheerfully and willingly. We pray that our contribution today will be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. To God be all the glory and praise. Amen. One of the things that I hope you notice that 
when someone responds to the invitation here, they are never alone. And that means a great deal. We had 252 in our worship today. There are a number of things that uh, are in the bulletin. There are a host of those who are on the prayer list for a number of reasons. We have several who are battling COVID uh, at this time, and I hope you'll uh, be aware of them and that you'll continue to pray for all of those who are on that list. The uh, devotional at Landmark Nursing Home and Rehab is today at 4. Uh, today at five, the teen class, as well as all the adult classes, the other classes will meet as usual, but the teen and adult classes will meet together in the auditorium where Glenn Newton will be here to discuss a, a, uh, exciting evangelistic effort. Um, on Monday, July 25th, volunteers are needed to help with the BHS band Monday that this congregation participates in. Uh, we'll need to ice down and deliver drinks to their break at 9.30, as well as put together sandwiches around 10.45 in the annex and then set up at 11.30 at the BHS cafeteria. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and please contact Amy, Amy Langley if you have uh, any questions or need additional information. That's a, a big effort that this congregation participates in. I hope you'll be a part of that. Deposit for the Transform Ladies Retreat in Pigeon Forge may be paid now. There's a box uh, in the foyer for that. Uh, on July 31st, as has been announced, there'll be a Bible class teachers meeting. Uh, I won't read all that's in the bulletin about that, but that's for not just current teachers, but those who are, who do teach throughout the year and those who are, uh, would be willing to be a part of that program at 3.30 in the annex. And then at 5 on the 31st, we'll do some, um, something here in the auditorium, something different for a kickoff our new academic year. And I want to plant a seed in your mind that also uh, next quarter we're going to begin a new class on Sunday in the Annex. Uh, that will be a young adults class for those who are just past the college age but are in their uh, 20s, early 30s, uh, that class. And uh, we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, as uh, time begin, uh, goes forward August 7th. Uh, next Sunday... Lord willing, 30 ch children, young people, and 12 adults will go from this congregation to join others at Maywood for a week uh, at Maywood Christian Camp. Please pray for us. If you are, if your children are going and they haven't signed, you haven't signed the list in the back, please do so. Brother Chris needs to know who needs a ride. If nobody's on that list, he won't come up here and crank the bus. So if you need a ride on Sunday or on that Saturday, please put that on that sheet for us. Uh, I have already been contacted about, I know there are going to be some needs for sponsored children. If uh, you have a need or a desire to help with that financially, please see me. And uh, we'll be glad to uh, use your uh, help to uh, benefit others. If you're willing, some have contacted me about uh, cakes, if you want to help with that. The uniced, individually wrapped uh, on disposable ware cakes need to be in the annex by noon on that uh, Sunday, the 24th, and I need a volunteer to assure me that you'll take care of getting those on the bus or to camp. So thank you for that. Uh, those are several announcements, and we'll close in prayer now because I know you are anxious to uh, gather around those who've responded this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are mindful, we are thankful, 
we are glad that you've allowed us to be your children. Father, thank you for all of those who have responded to heaven's invitation. Father, thank you for the privilege of being on this side of eternity as your child to encourage and to teach and to grow and to learn and to serve and to praise. Be with those of our number who are sick and who are struggling, who are hurting. Be with those who are growing and help us continue to grow. Thank you, Father, for gathering your people in this place. In Jesus we pray. Amen.